I think Warner Brothers is caving to PC culture a little bit. By, oh, here by, we by, go. By changing Lola Bunnies, so you know. We uh we, we gotta keep it how it is, you know, true American values are being are being ripped apart as we speak. Hello everybody and welcome into another edition of There is a Lot Going On, the only podcast that has two vaccine appointments this week. I'm David Oriel, joined as always by my pal Tom Shively. Tom, I don't know why I tripped over your name. It's the rust. I'm shaking off the rust a little bit. You know, we had a week off last week. I was bedridden, sick, thought I had COVID, didn't have COVID, but here we are. We're back better than ever. How you doing? Yeah, you know, we give the people a break for a week, but, you know, we're inevitable. So, you know, we just had to come back, and here we are. Uh, you know, I just want to kiss the homies again. So, you know, I'm ready for that vaccine deployment, and we're good to go. I just want to kiss the homies again. I'm putting that on your tombstone. It, like, the day you die, as, as long as you go before me, I'm putting on your tombstone. I just want to kiss the homies again. Please do, man. That's, you know, that's all that matters. It's been all, it's been over a year. Let's let, Let's go. Let's go. Uh, before we get too deep into this, I just wanted to give a quick uh, rest in peace to DMX, the legendary rapper, passed this past weekend. Uh, before we go any further, Tom, I wanted to tell you this story. I was telling you before we got on the podcast, I had a DMX story. And it's kind of a simple one, just because like, he was such a titan in music, right? And when I saw him in concert, it was at the 2015 Roots Picnic, which is like the music festival the Roots put on. And the way I describe DMX's performance to people is he barked at me, he stood up on a speaker, and then he said a prayer to end the show. That is literally exactly how it went. The craziest part is the prayer. He starts praying, and then he's like, all right, peace, have a good night, and then leaves. And it was nuts. So RIP DMX, I don't know if you have any thoughts on his passing. Yeah, I think just even seeing like the outpouring of support, just a lot of the messages were... You know, like, oh, we'd drive by playing his music and he would, like, wave at us and, like, cheer when he went by. He just seemed like a really personable guy and, you know, kind of kind of a fresh thing in the industry. And he really was a pioneer. And, you know, there's so many so many of his songs that that still stand the test of time. And it's just, it, it speaks for his talent, his creativity, as well as kind of the impact he leaves. And, you know, that, that should be what everybody wants in their life is to kind of have that kind of impact on, on the future generations. And he certainly did. All right, well, Tom, let's let's jump into the show now. Because we missed a week, we're going to go back briefly, and we're going to do some rapid fire here in the beginning. Three things that we wanted to talk about last week, and we weren't able to because we weren't able to do the show. Tom, first up, the Stanford Cardinals women's basketball team won the NCAA Women's National Championship 54-53 over the underdog Arizona Wildcats. What a run by Arizona all the way to this national championship. You know, they took down UConn to get there. Just a magical run by Ari McDonald and company but Tom I'll let you go first your thoughts to the Stanford Cardinals winning the national championship yeah I mean you know they were the number one overall seed they were the best team all year shout out the Pac-12 for getting two teams in the national championship game first time that had ever happened in the women's game uh they won both of their semi both of their final four games by one point they also beat South Carolina who I had picked to win the championship by one point in the semifinal and it's just another one of those years like Women's basketball just deserves its respect. You know, 2018, the Final Four, all three of those games went down to the final possession. 2019, it was like all the one seeds, you know, just great, great basketball. Obviously, last year, no tournament like there was in the men's game. But, you know, 54 to 53, people will kind of call it a snoozer, but, like, you're not a basketball fan if, if you don't enjoy that kind of stuff. And it's, it's just good quality basketball. And, you know, Cameron Brink is a cheat code. I tweeted that out. It, it's... She's so good, and that team has a lot of youth, too, so they're going to be good. People talked about UConn's youth all year, and that kind of 
maybe hindered them down the stretch where in the past you know, we've seen them win a lot of national championships, but they haven't won it in a while. And I, and I think the big thing with UConn's dominance was inspiring that next generation of players. And it kind of seems like, you know, with Stanford, we saw Baylor a couple of years ago, teams like South Carolina, Mississippi State, you know, the list goes on of these teams that are kind of slowly starting to become blue bloods after that Connecticut dominance. And you kind of wonder how much that furthered the future of women's basketball. And it's just been a lot of fun the last few years. In terms of the game, though, they defended McDonald great. They got up early enough that they kind of had to force her to make a lot of tough shots. And they played great defense on that last possession. And, you know, they deserve the championship. They're the best team all season. Well, and I think the other thing that these national championship games, the conversation it has sparked has been around the WNBA and how many roster spots there are in the WNBA. Because there are people working on watching these national championship games that may never make the league. And it's not because of talent. It's just because they don't have enough roster spots. So I think it's time to expand the WNBA, both roster sizes and the number of teams. Because you're starting to see it now, just an overabundance of talent on singular teams you know uh, the best teams in um the WNBA just continue to get better you know think the aces the sky are got a lot better this summer just by adding candace parker because she was really the only major free agent who was probably going to be on the move um you know you think the i'm trying to think who's the other team the i said the, aces. the seattle storm have been really Thank solid you, for a storms. while the sparks have been solid for a while so the, we just need more roster spots in the WNBA, and you know how they do that Bring a team to Philadelphia, baby. WNBA team. Here we come. What's your... I think I asked you last week. Uh, we got any name change update? What do we think? Are we no, more confident I've, about anything? No, I still haven't... Still not there yet. But I, I will tell you, while we're talking about the WNBA, the new WNBA uniforms are fuego. Like, do you have a favorite? Because, I mean, I... I'll Easy. Just, I'll, I'll, I'll say I really liked the Rise uh, Mystics uniforms just because, you know, it, it mapped out the, the um, what's it called, the march that you would go through through D.C. if you were going to do some sort of protest. That one specifically is the 2017 Women's March. Uh, and then it has the 19th Amendment on it, which, of course, gave women the right to vote. So I thought that one was dope. Uh, I have another one I really like, but I'll let you go first. In terms of pure design, I thought the Indiana Fever had the best one with, like, the black and red kind of the the stranger things one. stranger things inspired yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was just i thought that was really cool i like new york's as well i thought what which, they did with which the logo there one? was awesome the equality one the the mint green equality yeah, like one? the the aqua one yeah yeah yeah, yeah that one was dope Makes i really want green yeah well i really want like a, a sabrina ionescu um jersey and then a natasha cloud of washington mystics you know i gotta gotta rep the the philly girl come on when we get in the uh, when you get in the banner for the 2019 championship for the Mystics, I don't know. I got to cop one. The thing That's what here's I'm saying. my thing though, right? I'm only a Mystics fan because Philly doesn't have a team, so I had to latch on to somebody. I like Deladon, so you know that that's the team I latched on to. But the moment Philly gets the team, the Mystics are getting thrown to the wayside, and I'm sorry to do it to them, but we gotta do what you gotta do. You you gotta put out for the city. I respect it. So Dude, come on, what am I gonna do? Be a a fake fan? Come on, we, no, we rock no. Sixers and whoever the the Philly WNBA team will be whenever they finally do get one. Who? What's another city you think that should get one? Because I know San Antonio used to have a team, but then it moved to, they became the Aces. Uh, Houston hasn't had a team in a while. They were one of the best franchises in WNBA history. They're still tied for most titles. One, they won like four before they fold it. I actually would love to see something in the Bay Area. I don't oh. know why they don't have a team. I think with, with the population center you have out there, 
I don't I don't know what the holdup is there for them. And I and I think I know there's already a team in Seattle, but it feels like any team that's in the Pacific Northwest gets a lot of action out of the MLS has like three teams up there. They're getting a ton of support. So I'd love to see a team in Portland as well. I know that's probably not going to be their earliest earliest decision. They'll probably go something more Midwest, like maybe St. Louis or Kansas City or something like that. But I'd love San Francisco. I'd love Portland. So I, I think San Francisco and Portland are both good calls. You assume they'll probably do an expansion of two to four teams, and if it is, it would. my guess would be Philly. The Bay Area is a good guess. I actually like the Kansas City one because they're kind of the same thing. Like when every team they have, it seems like – the city really shows out for those teams, you know, whether it be Sporting KC, you know, the Royals, it just people show out for the Kansas City teams and it'd be cool to throw a WNBA franchise there. I I think the big barometer is always the fan support for bad teams. And I think the Royals have been bad for a while. They've always had good fan support. Even back when the Golden State Warriors were bad, they had really good fan support and then they got good and they got rewarded. So I think those two are great sports towns and Maybe Florida, too. Like, Florida is not known for having the most passionate fans. Miami, maybe Tampa area could have something somewhere down there. I mean, they got the Atlanta team, but that's probably the closest, so. I feel like in Florida, like, they they only really show out when you're good. And I'm not saying that in, like, a, a negative way. That's, like, most cities. But, like, think about the Lightning, right? The Lightning have been consistently good, and that's why the fans are always there. But, like, the Panthers are so up and down, and so they can't maintain that fan support in a little bit more of a competitive Miami market. Yeah, I think it's tough. Maybe Tampa is the route, but, uh, you know, more people in Miami. So if you're trying to generate interest, maybe that is the route to go. I think Orlando probably isn't going to do it, but Tampa or Miami would be my choice. So... Uh, that's a good four, I guess. All right, well, Tom, let's get back to the stories that we didn't get a chance to cover last week. And the next one is the Men's NCAA National Championship, where the Baylor Bears took down the Gonzaga Bulldogs 86-70. It was the first loss of the season for Gonzaga, so they finished their year 31-1. But, I mean, these were the teams all year that everyone thought these were the two best teams. They ended up meeting in the national championship and Baylor was able to take down Gonzaga on an absolutely scorching hot shooting night. Yeah, the funny thing is people complain every year kind of the NCAA tournament is either it's like too chalky or there's too many upsets. And it's hard to kind of have your cake and eat it too. But, you know, we had maybe as chaotic a year as we've ever had in terms of upset seating and we still got the two best teams at the end of the season playing. You know, the game itself wasn't that competitive Baylor had an unreal shooting night but I mean again you, you can call it lucky you can call it unreal but they were the best three-point shooting team in the country all year and they proved it you know they had more length than Gonzaga they gave them a ton of fits on the defensive end they they really made Gonzaga uncomfortable and you kind of felt like they hadn't felt uncomfortable all year and you wondered what it would be like because even in that UCLA game there were a few possessions down the stretch they didn't execute that well and so you're kind of wondering, you know, this is a team that's blown everybody out. I think going into that, going into the Final Four, they had one game that was decided by less than 10 points all season. And it was against West Virginia back in, like, December maybe. So you just kind of wonder how confident they were in, like, in-game scenarios and, and kind of finishing like that. And they just kind of got outmatched by what was a better team. And honestly, I thought was a better team for most of the season, just in terms of, you know, what you have to go through in the big 12 with how good those teams are versus Gonzaga, you know, I don't mean to joke about it, but you can beat up on Pepperdine and Santa Clara all you want, but it's not the same as playing Kansas and Oklahoma state and, you know, Texas tech and some of these other great teams all year. And you kind of see that experience pan out at the end. And I think Baylor was kind of 
in the shadows all year because of how good Gonzaga was, and they and they kind of proved that they were they were the best team in the country. I mean, Baylor also had a shot though to go undefeated if not for their COVID outbreak that kind of you know derailed them there in the yeah. middle of the season. There's they had a shot too to to go undefeated, but you know it was a good season from Baylor. You got to feel for Gonzaga because it's just. It's unfortunate to get that close and come up short in that way. Uh, but I just got to say, Davion Mitchell, that man plays basketball exactly how I want my guards to play. I mean, he shoot, he is an unconscious shooter. He'll shoot it from anywhere at any time. And his defense is so good. And, like, yeah, he was the defensive player of the year in the Big 12, so it should have been obvious. But his length as uh, whatever he is, 6'3", 6'4", guard, is absurd. And he was just creating absolute hell out there for Gonzaga all night and you could say he's not even the best guard on the team you could argue Butler's better than him and it's just like they have so many guards to throw at you You know they got Flagler who would probably be a starter on any other team in the Big 12 maybe any other power five team in the country and he's coming off the bench you know you've got this great guard depth you've got guys like Chumwacha I there's no way I pronounced that name right but they've just got sound you got the you got the mullet coming off the bench in Meyer and you know, the mullet was just better than the stash on Monday night, and that's what it comes down to. You know, Drew Timmy kind of highlighted the prototypical college big man struggles going up against, like, what I would consider NBA-caliber bigs. You know, kind of like a Frank Kaminsky guy comes to mind for me, where game translates really well to college, but you just wonder kind of what is going to happen in the NBA when they're, you know, not as quick as some of those guys, when they get switched on to guards and can't defend and give up easy layups. And those are kind of the questions that it raises because there was a ton of NBA talent in that game. And I think I think Jalen Suggs is the best player Gonzaga their program has ever had. I think he's going to be a good NBA player. But I think Corey Kispert's got a role in the NBA. But you kind of wonder about some of these other guys in terms of how their game is going to translate. And I think Gonzaga kind of had some of those problems all year, but just it took the perfect team to expose it. And I don't think any other team in the country could have exposed it, but Baylor did. Yeah, I think my fear now with uh, Kisper in terms of his NBA translation is he went ice cold those last two games of the season in the national championship and in that national semifinal against UCLA. He just he couldn't buy a bucket. And so if you're an NBA team, that's got to concern you a little bit that the stage was just too bright for him as a senior. And, you know, he's an older guy. Like I said, he is a senior. So, you know, if if you're not sure he's going to give you that sort of consistent effort out there when the lights are brightest, I would be greatly concerned drafting him. But I, I think he will be a really good NBA player because he just shoots the lights out of the gym. And that's all you can really ask for from a guy who's going to be a lottery pick. And he plays pretty good defense. My comparison to him was Joe Harris. And I think if he can kind of shoot like Harris. I think Harris, obviously, has been in the league for seven years now, is a better shooter. But that's the kind of role he could have on a team where he's not going to be your offensive weapon. But he's got a lot to offer on that side, and he can be a really key role player. So I think, you know, you know, I'd like to see a lot of those Gonzaga guys succeed. And I think it, it, it's really special in terms of we got to give Mark Few credit for this is a team that I believe made their first NCAA tournament in 1995 and have been to, like, 22 of them since. You know, they have kind of become a blue blood out of a situation that no one has any business becoming a blue blood. You know, you're playing Spokane, Washington, which I can tell you is in the middle of nowhere. And it's hard to recruit guys like that. And it's it it's a testament to them to kind of continue to be, you know, number one seeds, making Elite Eights, Final Fours, it seems like every year almost. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to replicate that at a smaller school. 
I think I saw they're the only team that have been to the last six Sweet 16s. They've been to six straight Sweet 16s, I think is the number. So it's just, like you said, they went from underdogs to blue bloods, and it's virtually impossible to do that in college basketball. So the fact they now compete with, you know, the Dukes and the Kentuckys and the North Carolinas of the world for recruits, I mean, credit to Mark Few. They have no swag whatsoever, but credit to Mark Few. Whatever he's doing over there is working. Yeah, Suggs was what, like top five in the class, and they still got him? That's It means a lot. He was like Mr. Football and Mr. Basketball. He had a ton of D1 football offers for like big-time schools, and they still got him. So, you know, Few even said that in his post game. You know, it, it, it's a tough way to lose, but there, there's a lot of positives to take from, from being 31-1. and one. So nothing to hang your head about. But uh, 1976, Indiana cracks the champagne one more time, so they stay alive 45 years since someone's gone undefeated. All right, Tom, last thing that we didn't get a chance to talk about last week. It was, first of all, a big week for Warner Brothers, who released Godzilla vs. Kong. Fantastic film. If you guys have HBO Max, go see it. Or if you've been vaccinated slash feel comfortable going to a movie theater, I highly recommend it. But the other thing that pertains to us a little bit more, the Space Jam trailer. Tom, give me your reaction to Space Jam A New Legacy the film starring LeBron James and a guy... Uh, did you notice the kid in the film looks eerily similar to his son Bryce James? But I'm pretty sure is not his real son. I actually did not notice that. I didn't I didn't think of that comparison when I saw the kid. But I, I kind of see it now that you mentioned it, actually. So I, it's interesting because Space Jam itself was, what, like 25 years ago? Maybe more than that. And... It almost feels like this can kind of play into the Jordan-LeBron debate, which is hilarious to me, because it feels like it's almost using their careers to kind of define which of the movies is going to be better. I think Space Jam 1 was awesome, but... Space Jam 1 is terrible. The concept of... You can hold that thought, but the concept of it is so much, I think, based on, like, special effects and kind of being out there that I think just in terms of, you know, like, what they did with, like, Damian Lillard's character, what they're doing with some of the the other Monstars or the Goon Squad, what they call them now. I, I think it's really cool. I think it's going to be a good movie. And, uh, you know, LeBron James is already a great actor, as anyone who's seen Trainwreck knows. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a really fun movie. And uh, it's long-awaited. So, you know, it's, it's one of those that's been very overhyped. So maybe, maybe the pressure's on for it to deliver, and maybe people will be like, eh, it's not as good. But I'm excited. I, I love so- Space Jam. You clearly didn't, but... I'm ready no, for no, today. no. I, I don't have the nostalgia glasses for Space Jam that everyone else does. It's a bad movie, and you can enjoy it. That's fine. There are plenty of bad movies that are enjoyable. I, I can't name any right now, but like people like the Transformers movies. And Happy Gilmore. Is Happy Gilmore a bad movie? Yeah, Happy Gilmore is a terrible there movie, but it's, it's so much fun. So like, like it can be fun, but like Michael Jordan's a really bad actor, like really bad. And, you know, a lot of that, the computer-generated stuff, like you mentioned, just did, doesn't age well in any way, shape, or form. And you know what? The biggest travesty of the movie is they had to go bring Michael Jordan out of retirement from playing baseball. Are we serious? Like, the whole first 25 minutes of that movie is him struggling as a minor league baseball player. I didn't need my movie to be that realistic. I can't believe you're going, like, L.A. film school route on this. I can't it's believe a bad going, movie. You know, I wouldn't have won an Oscar. You know, I wouldn't. I didn't like it. You know, the the acting just wasn't good. I, I, I'm full nostalgia glasses. I'm wearing the glasses right now. You're not. So agree to disagree. But it, it, it it's it's essential to, to basketball culture. So there are I'm two great moments minus. in that movie. 
two great moments. One, I forget what the actor's name is, but it's when his manager in the movie is screaming at a golf on a golf hole to spit Michael Jordan back out of it. That's hilarious. And then the other is uh, when Bill Murray is in that movie at any point. It's gold because Bill Murray is a comedic genius. So those are the two good parts of the movie. The rest it's of the, it, uh, it's like the guy it. who plays Newman, right? Is his manager? Yes. Oh, God, what's his name? I don't remember, but. That guy's electric in any role he plays, so... Caddyshack, good movie or bad movie? Caddyshack's fantastic. Okay. I, I think that's like, I agree. That's, like, widely regarded as, like, a classic comedy. I first saw Caddyshack as, like, a senior in high school, and... I love Caddyshack, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it much since, but I, I remember the first time I watched it thinking it was very good. Um, I'm looking up the cast, why do I not remember Danny DeVito... In Space Jam, he's um, he's one of the I, monsters, isn't he? Yeah, yeah I think he's one why. of the monsters. Okay. I was like, wait a minute, I don't remember. Yeah, he's not in the movie, but you know, he's he's voicing someone in the movie. Now, interestingly enough, we ha- I I think this is the perfect topic for there's a lot going on. What do you think of the controversy surrounding Lola Bunny? How they made Lola Bunny allegedly less attractive? Do you have thoughts? Um. I'll say this. I'll say this. Lola Bunny was perfect the way she was. So it didn't feel like it was necessary to have to change it. I just think... Uh, I think Warner Brothers is caving to PC culture a little bit. By, oh, here by, we by, go. By changing Lola Bunny. So, you know... We uh, we, we got to keep it how it is. You know, true American values are being, are being ripped apart as we speak. And I'm just not going to stand for that. I, I was going to ask so many questions about what those true American values are, but I actually don't think I want any more elaboration. I'm just going to leave that there. Uh, Tom, is there anything else that we missed last week that you'd want to discuss before we move on to the one big story from this past week? Shout out the women's game being included in Space Jam 2. I mean, I'm excited to see that. I think they're getting so much into Diana recognition. You know, we talked about it a little bit earlier in terms of trying to grow the game, and I think this is a great chance to do it. Yeah, completely agree. It's good on LeBron, and not just LeBron, but good on on the current crop of NBA players who clearly respect and value the women's game. Not to say the old crop didn't, but they have done a lot to prop up the women's game and try and talk it up to make it, to make it, I was going to say to make it seem cool, but like it is cool. So I don't, I don't know the correct wording there, but like, you know, there were, there are, I'm sure young kids, I was one of them who, you know, oh, I don't want to watch the women play. It's not as good as when the men play. And it's like, that's just, it's not true. If you actually watch the games, the product is just as good. But but I even think you've got like the Draymond Green, Nick Young types that still maybe don't necessarily give the game the credit it deserves. And I think that's more what these, what the players are fighting now is people within the league that don't respect it. And it's like, so much of it is, dude, how can you be a basketball player and not understand what they're going through, not understand like how good this is versus like if I was talking to Nick Young, I'd be like, dude, if there were twelve NBA teams, you'd be homeless right now. So yeah, you know, be, think about he, it that way. He's not on a team currently and there's thirty. So I I just I don't understand the why people go out of their way to do that kind of stuff. And then Draymond Green being like, Oh well my comments were misinterpreted. No, they weren't. We understood exactly what you were saying. It just wasn't the time place or like it didn't make any sense like his ah, i don't i have never really liked draymond green i can tell i tried to i tried to snapchat draymond green once when i was in college and to this day i have no idea what i sent him because it was a a crazy night of 
Penn State. What he did, I hope he didn't get anything in return because we know how that's going to go. Exactly. And I think that was probably the joke I made to him, but I just assume he never opened it. So maybe he'll hear this one day and go open it and we'll find out what I sent him, but I couldn't tell you what it was. All right, Tom, let's let's move on to the one big story from this past week, and that is Sam Darnold of the formerly of the New York Jets being traded to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, that deal went down on Monday, which sucked. We were going to record Monday night, so it would have been perfect for us. But uh, in return for Sam Darnold, the Jets are getting three picks, a six-rounder in the 2021 draft, a second-rounder, and a fourth-rounder in the 2022 draft. So let's first start with Carolina and Sam Darnold. What, what are your thoughts on on the deal from Carolina's perspective? I think it's great. I mean, I think they, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have gotten maybe the franchise guy you wanted at pick number eight and trading up maybe wasn't necessarily an option. So you get a guy in Darnold who's, you know, still younger than Joe Burrow. He's only 23. You know, he's not, he, he still has a lot of promise. And I, th- I think a lot of, a lot of the issues with him may have been jet induced so I, I think you kind of get a fresher start with him. He can kind of learn under a new system. He's got some familiarity with Anderson there. So I, I like the move for Carolina. I think they're kind of a franchise that you're looking at the rest of that division has some aging quarterbacks. So if you can, uh, you know, Darnold, I'm not saying they're going to contend for it in year one, but you look two, three years down the road, it's clearly a city that can develop quarterbacks. Uh, obviously, Cam Newton came there. They they had a lot of good stretches with him, and I think it's just a really solid fit in terms of, you know, because we kind of talked about fits for Carolina earlier when we were doing QB matchmaker, and I think we both had rookies going there. But Darnold, you know, has as much upside as any of these rookies still, and I think it, it just fits really well with that Carolina system. Yeah, I think I'm kind of with you where it's hard to judge Sam Darnold because it doesn't seem like at any point in New York he – he was dealt a fair hand, you know, whether that be a bad offensive line, a lack of weapons, uh, a consistently good play caller. Like the three things you most need to succeed as a quarterback in the NFL, he did not have. He didn't have weapons, play calling, or an offensive line. So, you know, he goes to Carolina. He now has weapons because he has Curtis Samuel, uh, DJ Moore is there, Christian McCaffrey. He's got guys to throw the football. And plus having McCaffrey, that's going to take some of the pressure off him to be great right away. You know, you have Matt Rule plus Joe Brady. That's maybe the best coach-coordinator combo for a young quarterback right now in the league, especially having Joe Brady, who's I'm going to venture a guess that he's going to be a head coach after this season, but that, I guess, it depends on how well he does with uh, Darnold here this upcoming season. And then, you know, now you just need to build out that offensive line. And with that eighth pick, you're going to be able to get one of Pene Sewell or Rashawn Slater. And there you go. Now you have our offensive line that is improving. So I, I really like the move for Carolina. And I just, you know, I mean, I've always really liked Sam Darnold. I think he never really got a fair shake in New York. And, you know, it's... It, I'll shift over to the Jets now because for the Jets, they now get to start fresh with their quarterback. This wasn't Sam Darnold wasn't a Joe Douglas pick, so he gets to make his own selection. It's going to be Zach Wilson. We've all been told at this point that's all but set in stone. So it's going to be Zach Wilson, and you know they're going to get some picks in exchange for it. Now, are they great picks? No, but Sam Darnold hasn't shown enough to warrant, say, a first-round pick. And the fact that we were able to get a second-round pick out of it next year, I think, is something to write home about, and, you know, they should be happy with that. Yeah, and I think it's one of those you weren't... Clearly, if this was the direction you wanted to go, you weren't going to 
have Darnold in your future plans anyway. So I, th- I think dishing him when they did, and now you can kind of like you mentioned, like you hit the nail on the head, s- start fresh and get your guy in there. Kind of what Cincinnati has with Burrow, you know, their new staff kind of getting that franchise built and and that's how you do it. And I, and I think there are a lot of positives for the Jets in terms of they have pieces, you know, they've got some good defensive elements that that could be all right. I, I think the the Patriots dynasty is kind of over, safe to say, so they are they're back in contention now and I think they this is going to be a weird thing to say, but they're kind of still in the Giants' shadow a little bit. I think the Giants have had a louder offseason than the Jets did, so maybe being that second team in New York will kind of help them a little bit because the Giants were bad for a while. The Jets were also bad. But to, to me, there, there's a lot of upside still for them, and I, I think it's one of those that you know worked out for both parties. And you know we say that now, of course, come May, it'll probably be a train wreck for one of the teams, if not both. But I, I think as of right now, it's kind of good direction for both teams. Well, yeah, I, th- I think – when you look at it on paper, right, it makes sense for both teams. I, I think the the bad thing if you're the Jets, right, is historically you're not all all five of these quarterbacks are gonna go in the first round are not gonna be good. And if you look at like historically, probably only two of them are gonna be good because that's generally how it shakes out. Like like I saw somebody, I think it was Cowherd who did this, but like think about the guys who have succeeded in terms of high draft picks. They were either generational talents or they went to a great scenario. Patrick Mahomes was generational talent and went to Andy Reid and the Chiefs. Justin Herbert was a 4.0 biology student who, you know, we thought couldn't make reads, but turns out that offense was just super mediocre, and that's why he couldn't really do a lot. Like, it's those are the guys who were succeeding. Andrew Luck, of course he was going to do well. He was the number one pick for eight years leading up to that point. So we have one of those guys. We have the generational talent in Trevor Lawrence. And so who's going to be the other guy? My money's on Justin Fields, because I think he's going to end up going to the Niners. Like, whoever the Niners pick, I think is going to be great. So, you know, if it's Mac Jones, maybe I'll take that back a little bit. But, like, to me, it's going to be Trey Lance or Justin Fields. And so, you know, if you're the Jets, you're hoping that it's an abnormal draft and you end up lucking out with Zach Wilson. But I don't know. It's basically resetting their clock, and they're hoping that Zach Wilson, who was essentially a one-year wonder, can continue to, you know, do what he did at BYU and I don't know. I'm just not seeing it. I'm not a big Zach Wilson fan. I think I've made that clear on multiple occasions on this podcast. It's funny because you started out, I feel like, as a big Zach Wilson fan. And then, you know, you did what so many people in America should do, is you read a little bit more, you got a little more educated, and you were like, this isn't the guy. It's not the one. I reevaluate it. I, I like Fields at two. I, th- I think Fields is the second best prospect in here. I, I, I think a lot. Yeah, but he's of not the, going to. That's no, like, no, no, no. I, I agree Wilson. with you. I agree with you. I'm, I, they're taking Wilson. That that yeah. But yeah. I, I think a lot of the the knocks on him are are unfair to Justin Fields, and I think they're. I, I hate to say race induced, but I, I think there is a little they bit are. of that that plays into it, and. I, I want to see him succeed because I, you know, I've seen what he did at Ohio State for two years. I, you see the growth that he made. You know, people say he's not a hard worker, and there's been so many experts that have come out and been like, no, that's not true. Like he is a hard worker. It's this is such a bad comparison. I, it's like what's not to like with Fields. Even the people went crazy about that Zach Wilson like rolling sixty yard pass, and Fields did the same thing like two days later. 
And so I, I don't see anything in Wilson that I don't see in Fields. And that's kind of where I draw the line with that. I think Trevor Lawrence is the guy in this class, obviously, and he has been since he got to Clemson. But Fields, to me, is still the pretty clear-cut number two. And I might even say Lance would have a better career than Wilson. We'll see how that shakes out. I, I That's the thing. I really like Trey Lance. And I think, again, he's kind of situation-dependent. Um, but I think if he ends up... And again, you can say this about a lot of quarterbacks, but if he ends up with the right situation, I could see Lance being incredible because he's really the only guy who can, who has, I think, the legs and the arm to, to, to succeed in that kind of way. Because he was as good of a runner in college as he was a thrower. The thing with Justin Fields that has bothered me is the conversation has become that tired. Oh well, he doesn't look past his first read. And I saw some stat the other day that like. I think it was like 80% of his throws in college were not the first read. So it's like, what are we talking about? Like, we're just creating excuses now not to take the guy who, let's not forget, was also a five-star recruit the same year as Trevor Lawrence and was not seen as being much worse than Trevor Lawrence when they were coming out of high school. It was like, here's Trevor Lawrence, here's Justin Fields, both from the state of Georgia. Like, you're not going to miss on either of these guys. And guess what? They've both been great. So I don't know why we're trying to do all these mental gymnastics to say, oh, well, Justin Fields isn't going to be... I think Justin Fields is going to be great. And if the Niners take him, they're going to get a major upgrade at quarterback over Jimmy Garoppolo. My only Justin Fields theory is, like, everyone in the draft room must be a University of Georgia graduate because they just didn't see anything in Fields. You know, they started playing Murray over him. Fields ends up transferring to Ohio State, being the best quarterback in the Big Ten for two years, winning back-to-back Big Ten titles, beating... You know, Clemson with, as Davos, when he said, the 11th best team in the country went in there and beat Clemson. So he's just a winner. And I I love the fact that Georgia has not been very good since then because they didn't recognize that. And I hope the NFL does not make the same mistake. I Someone's going to get a guy. And if it's not the Niners at three, I'm just going to put it out there now. If he makes it to four, the New England Patriots are going to come calling for Justin Fields. and Come home, Justin, come home. I just, I can see it. And to me, he fits perfectly into what they're trying to do, where I've always thought the Belichick-McDaniels offense did a good job of making the throws obvious. Like, the throws you should be making are almost always going to be there, especially when you have two tight ends that would really ease a rookie quarterback into it. He can sit behind Cam Newton until Cam Newton eventually gets hurt at some point during the season. So I, I, I think that's a great scenario for him. I wouldn't really like him in Washington, um, I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't, I don't see the fit in Washington for some reason. They need a quarterback. I just don't see the fit. Chicago, I don't see the fit either. I, I really don't want him to go to Chicago because they'll be thrown behind a bad offensive line to no weapons. You don't want the, want the Burrow treatment? Yeah, no, I, I, I want Justin Fields to go somewhere and succeed. And I think the 49ers are the best scenario. And if the 49ers take Mac Jones over Trey Lance and Justin Fields, just fire John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. Just, there's no point. They're never going to win if that's your thinking, that you need to get Kirk Cousins at quarterback. They got Garoppolo, and they said, damn, we're only a quarterback away from winning the Super Bowl, and then they're okay with still being a quarterback away from winning the yeah. Super Bowl. Like, what? what is – maybe you can answer this question because I don't understand the thought process behind Mac Jones. Like – uh, The one thing I don't like, right, I don't like the conversation that, like, oh, well, look at the talent he played with. 
yeah, every quarterback that looks good plays with good talent. What are you talking... Like, look at the talent Trevor Lawrence played with. Look at the talent Justin Fields played with. We don't knock them because they played on talent and teams. My thing with Mac Jones is he doesn't do anything exceptionally well. Like, what? It, he's not a good runner, so you need a great offensive line. He doesn't have, like, a cannon for an arm. Like, what does Mac Jones do well that warrants trading all the capital they did to move up to three? He makes no sense to me at three. I'm going to ask you a different question. This is not really Mac Jones related, but who is a good Alabama quarterback that has turned out well in the NFL? I I couldn't name one, but I also have never liked that argument either, just because, like, name a good Ohio State quarterback that's turned out well in the NFL. That's fair. Like, that, you, we could do this all day, you know? And that's why I, like, don't like doing that. Um, it, it's fair, though, like... If that's the argument you want to make, that he played with a bunch of talent and every Alabama quarterback we've ever seen that plays with this much talent isn't good. It's fair because, you know, is he going to have a Jalen Waddle and a Devonta Smith wherever he goes? I don't know. Probably not would be my guess, but I don't know. But we also didn't knock Joe Burrow because he was throwing to Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. It's a good point. I just don't... The, the numbers feel kind of inflated to me with Jones. I think the... Playing at Alabama does kind of naturally do that. I know you hate that argument, but I'll be interested hey, to see. I'll be fair. interested to see. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not that it's a bad argument. It's just not an argument I would necessarily make. Fair enough. All right, well, Tom, that's that's all the stories we had for this week. Uh, we're here at the end of the show. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we uh, let the people go on their way? A short episode today. I uh, Like I was telling you before, I started watching this show called 112263 recently, which stars James Franco. My roommates put me onto that, by the way. Shout out, shout out them. He's a, it's a little eight, it's a little eight episode miniseries. He is a high school English teacher who basically has to go back in time to stop the Kennedy assassination, which will start this like chain link of events. Absurd concept. And like I said before the show, 10 minutes in, I was like, this is so stupid. I would never watch this. Why, why am I willingly watching this? And now I'm like two episodes in and I'm captivated. So that was, I've been watching that. That's been my latest uh, TV binge. My question to you is if you could go back in time and change a moment, what would you change? It could be sports related. It can be life related. It can be whatever. But that is my question to you, Mr. Arroyo. Before I answer that, I was thinking, I'm just curious your thoughts on this. I've had a really hard time watching television shows that are like an hour long during the pandemic. Like, I've just been cranking through 30-minute sitcoms. And I don't know if it's because I find them more enjoyable, there's something easier about it, but like, dramas right now are just not it for me. I just can't get into any of them. The, the, the benefit for the sitcoms to me was always just... I, I can kind of fit one into my schedule more easily. Like, oh, I'm yeah. up a little bit earlier today. Maybe I can watch a little half-hour episode. Or, you know, I'm kind of tired, but I'm not that tired, so maybe I'll do it. Like, an hour episode kind of feels like a commitment. So you got to almost, like, set part of your day aside for that, whereas you're trying to fill the cracks, like, while you eat dinner or something. So I'm kind of with you on that, but I'm I'm getting slowly back into the hour longs. Like, I binged Game of Thrones again recently so that was kind of getting back into the longer tv episodes and now i'm watching this so i'm kind of back on them all right my if i could go back and change anything i I think the i'm gonna do the one i jokingly said to you before we got on here but like uh, changing the uh the bill buckner ball through the legs i i think that kind of thing where the ball doesn't go through buckner's legs potentially 
completely changes the entire history of like Boston sports. Cause like, like I don't think Boston has the desperation to try and win in 2004, if not for the history behind it, for the whole, you know, oh, well, Buckner, it went through his legs and we got rid of Ruth. Like maybe that's the one, like you make it so they don't get rid of Ruth. But like to me, one small change like that to the Red Sox and they maybe don't have the motivation to make splashy deals to go get David Ortiz, to go get Manny Ramirez. Maybe they're just content with what they got. I'm glad you brought that up because the 4 Yankees definitely doesn't mean as much. It's coming back from 3-0, having not won a World Series. I kind of like the argument that they don't get Ortiz. My, uh, my, my Mets fan uncle will say that the Mets were going to win that game anyway because it was tied at the time. It wasn't like the Red Sox would have won if he made the play. But my counter-argument was always the Red Sox then also lost Game 7. So there's a little bit of both there. Um, I wasn't alive in 86. I'm not one of those people that enjoys championships from before I was born since I don't remember watching them or really anything about the team. So I'm not like, oh, they really let one get away in 86. And I was, you know, so frustrated with that one. But, you know, they might not have won four championships if they didn't. So I'm cool with that. My moment. Hmm. Real quick, I have another one that is more serious. I was just thinking about it. This one actually would affect me. I would, if I could go back in time, I'd go and try and find Donovan McNabb the Saturday before the Super Bowl when Terrell Owens claims he allegedly went out clubbing the night before the Super Bowl, and that's why he was sick and throwing up in the huddle during that Super Bowl. I think the Eagles maybe win that Super Bowl with a healthy Donovan McNabb. I'm I'm, I'm good the way that transpired. You don't say. I'm fine with that. Yeah, you know, we're okay. All right, what's your what's your moment? I uh I, I jokingly said the uh, the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, but this other show is based off an assassination, so I can't go that route. That's just not gonna happen. I can't pick someone else not to I can't to die I can't go another when the show I can't is already doing another that. assassination. Yeah, that's just that's that's, pla- to, to that's plagiarism to the T. I think I would go back and stop the invention of sports because they've inflicted so much pain on my life. That oh my, I, here we no, go. I'm kidding. I actually, honestly, I, I didn't have a good one. I'm honestly. I, you said invention. I thought you were gonna go like stop the invention of the atomic bomb. Uh, that is a good one. I mean, honestly, you know, we talked about that too. You know, maybe we shouldn't have dropped it, but you know, we don't have to get all political here. Um, let's see. I would have, maybe I would have made sure that Tom Shively and David Arroyo did not meet in college. Because <laughs> uh, it has been a disaster ever since, you know. The, the worst thing to ever happen to the world. The, the listeners have suffered enough. Uh, our college friends have suffered enough, you know. So maybe maybe that's suffered. what I'll go with. Come on. We, I, you and I were the source of, I would say, at least 70% of the entertainment in college. If it wasn't for us, their college experience is significantly worse. That's true. That's true. I mean... Yeah, we brought a lot out. There's no, there's no, uh, you know, I, I can't get into the nitty gritty, so we'll leave it at that. Some things are better left. <laughs> off, some things are better left off the pot. Some things are better left just between us. It's it's the stories that will live on in our memories, but not on the podcast. Exactly, exactly. They maybe live on through photos as well, but you know, those won't see the light of day anytime soon. No, they would not. Oh, uh, you know what? I will. Uh, 
I will change this. I'll change this. I would oh, I would have loved I would have loved LeBron James to have an off night in game six of the twenty twelve Eastern Conference Finals. That one hurts the most for me as a basketball fan. That is the single most painful game I've watched as a Celtics fan. That one to me hurt more than the game seven 2010 championship against the Lakers. I because it was still kind of like the Celtics own LeBron narrative, and it was still kind of like I liked the fact that he couldn't beat the Celtics because I was selfish. And then he finally did that, <laughs> and then they won Game Seven. And it was like, well, this this was fun while it lasted. I have two good what ifs, both NBA related. One of them I don't think people say often. A lot of people always say like, what if LeBron stayed in Cleveland? I'm more intrigued by what if LeBron stayed in Miami. Because I think Miami is an easier place to get free agents to go to. And you know Pat Riley is always big game hunting. So he would have been able to get somebody down to Miami with him. And I'm just curious how that would have affected the league if he had stayed in Miami. The other one, though, and this one came up the other day. What if Kobe Bryant had been traded to the Chicago Bulls that summer when he wanted to be traded right before they got Pau Gasol? I wonder how that affects NBA history because they probably they don't end up getting Derrick Rose because they're going to be too good to get the number one seed. Who knows who he tries to get with him to go to Chicago? Like I, I'm fascinated by this idea that Kobe doesn't you know spend his entire career as a Laker. Now is that a worse timeline? Undoubtedly, it's a worse timeline than the one we got. But I'm intrigued by it. I mean, do we want to see Bulls dynasty again? I don't know. No, spread the wealth. Spread the wealth a little bit. I don't know if he wins another NBA title if he gets traded to the Bulls. What do you? I mean, you don't think he can pull somebody? He has to get. He has to be able I to think, get somebody. You think there's any thought? At, you think there's any thought LeBron goes there in 2010? If Kobe's see, that's there. the interesting thing is maybe LeBron goes to, and if you got LeBron and Kobe on the same team, it it's over. Yeah, They're winning yeah. five championships. But like, the other one is like Dwayne Wade because he also considered going to. Chicago during that free agency period so like maybe the big three ends up being Kobe Wade and Bosch and not LeBron and LeBron is out to fester somewhere else maybe he teams up with like or something yeah he teams up with Carlos Boozer in uh, New York instead of Chicago there you go yeah yeah see this it's everything changes if if you change like one little detail uh here and there well Tom that is that is it for this edition of there is a lot going on. Do you have any final parting thoughts for the people that is not changing of history related? Uh, I know we don't talk golf a lot, but shout out uh, Hideki Matsuyama, first Japanese man to ever win a major championship. Uh, I was watching the Masters today. They had some excerpts from the Japanese broadcast, and it was awesome. So more of that in sports. I want more of like World Cup, whatever it may be. If there's international presence, I want the foreign language broadcasts on my TV yesterday. So let's go. Yeah, I mean, shout out to the Masters. I mean... Is he? Oh, this is going to be a real touchy subject, but is he now the only uh, Asian man who is a member at Augusta? Because if you win, you become a member, right? That's how it works. I believe so. I'm not 100 percent sure, and though. It's very, very white, my understanding, because like when Tiger won the Masters, apparently, like it was all white people out there cheering for him, and the black people were the people who you know were catering the food. Those are the people who were seeing him win, and that's just the history of Augusta up to this point. So I'm curious if he's the only Asian man to be a member. Well, I'm even I even think Condoleezza Rice a few years ago was like the first woman to become a member. So yep. it's definitely one of those groundbreaking moments. And I think he even said this in his post post round. I guess it was really cool. First of all, to kind of see that he had an interpreter there, like in the interview with Nance and them, and I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but it, I kind of no- normalize not 
having to speak English. I kind of like that aspect of it because yes. I think to me that's better almost than having a guy trying to force broken English. And I think you know you see it in baseball a lot with the like Latin American players that a guy I think uh, Gary Sanchez for the Yankees has gotten a lot of flack for like not really learning English despite being here for seven years. Like, how many Americans learn another language? Who cares? Yeah. So I liked that Hideki. Keep doing you. Keep being awesome for Japan and. They got the Olympics this year, so we'll see what happens. And you know what? Those conversations are always steeped in some sort of racism where it's like, how dare you not be in America and know English? It's like, literally, who cares? Like, if he has a translator, he's just employing someone else. What do you hate? The economy? Right? I don't, I don't know. It was, but it was cool to see because you were, at first I was like, who is this guy on the end? And I was like, it was cool to see, like, a white guy as his interpreter, too. And I think you're so used to seeing, like, people from their own country kind of as interpreters. Not That's why I was like, who is this guy? And I, I seeing that, you know, I'm all for bilingual and I'm all for, you know, not having to speak English. Because, you know, if you don't want to learn it, you'd rather, you know, spend your time on golf so you can win green jackets. You do you, man. Hey, nor- normalize it being okay to not speak English in the United States. And on that note... That's going to end it here for There's a Lot Going On. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you go on iTunes, give us a five-star rating, tell us what you like, what you don't like. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, rewrite, and re-review. Until next week, I'm David Arroyo, Tom Shively. Catch you back here next week for another edition of There's a Lot Going On.